All right, well, we're there in Romans chapter number 13. And before we get started, if you're a first-time guest uh, this morning, I want to just explain uh, to you, uh, we are right uh, almost done, more than halfway through a series that we've been preaching through over the last several weeks on the subject of of money. And it's not been about getting your money, uh, but it's been about helping you control your personal finances, having financial freedom and being able to prosper uh, financially. We started this series on the 13th of this month. And that first sermon was entitled Proper View of Money. It was kind of an introductory sermon. We talked about what the Bible talks about money, how God feels about money, and how God feels about you having money. And we talked about the fact that God doesn't want you to love money, but God is not necessarily against you having it either. On uh, the next week, the second sermon was a sermon entitled Plan Your Spending. And it was about budgeting and learning how to, uh, you know, take account of your money and control your money, not allowing it to disappear. Last week, we uh, preached a sermon entitled Prepare for the Future. It was about savings and the benefit of savings and the fact that there is a financial famine coming. There are financial difficulties that you will have from time to time. And it's good to be prepared and to be wise in that way. So I want you to understand we're kind of in this series. If you've missed any of those sermons, you're welcome uh, to go on our website, veritybaptist.com, and you can catch up on the website there under preaching. We've got a link to all uh, the audio sermons. We all have CDs in the back, so you can grab uh, whichever one you've missed back there. Today, we're going to be talking about the subject of debt, paying your debt and debt-free living. Next week, we'll finish up this series, and then we'll move on to something else. And I know that a series on finances may be uh, interesting, you know, but you, you may think, I didn't know that a church would preach that. But I believe that the Bible has the answers to all of our questions and all of our problems. And from time to time, we should preach uh, sermons that are meant to help you draw closer to God, to get right with God. And from time to time, we want to preach very practical type sermons to help you just with your day-to-day life. Now, we're there in Romans chapter 13. I want to bring your attention down to verse number 8. And I want you to notice verse 8. The Bible says this, Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Now, I want to begin with this idea. And for those of you who like to take uh, notes, point number one this morning uh, as we talk about debt is this. Debt is not sinful. Debt is not sinful. And what I mean by that is it's not morally wrong for you to have debt or for you to be in debt. Now, there are... Uh, Christian leaders out there today who will teach that it is a sin to be in debt, that it is, it is wrong uh, to, to, to have debt. And they'll go to Romans chapter number 13 as their proof text. If you look at verse 8, and they'll take that phrase, Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Now, I believe that the best way to live your life is debt-free, and we're going to talk about that in this sermon. But I want to start with this idea that I don't believe that debt is a sin, and I don't believe you are morally wrong to uh, have a debt or to owe money on a loan. Because here's what you got to understand. The Bible says, owe no man anything. And they'll say, see, you're not supposed to owe anyone anything. And that is what the Bible says. But I want you to understand and just think through something with me. When you go into debt, when you go and get a loan for a vehicle or a house or whatever uh, you buy, what you do is you enter into an agreement. When you enter into that agreement, you commit to make a certain amount of payments over a certain amount of time, and you both agree, the one who is lending and the one who is uh, taking the loan, on those payments. You agree that in 30 years I will pay off this house, or in five years I will pay off this car. I will make this payment at this time. So here's what, what you have to understand. As long as you're making those payments, you don't owe them anything. Does that make sense? When, I, when you bought a house, you know, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't have to pay the, the full balance of that house the next month. Or you didn't have to pay the full balance of that car that next month. So I don't believe this verse is forbidding people going into debt or taking out a loan. I do think, and, and you can lose your place there in Romans 13, but go with me to the book of Psalms. Psalm chapter number uh, 37. If you open up your Bible just right in the center, you're more than likely following the book of Psalms. We're going to look at a lot of passages this morning, so just try to stay with us. Psalm 37, just right in the center of your Bible, and look at verse number 21. I don't believe it is a sin for you to have debt. I do think it is a sin for you to not make payments or to owe, because here's what you got to understand. When you don't make that payment, now you owe them something. You see what I'm saying? Now you get that envelope with the red letters that says, you know, important or whatever. You know, so I don't believe Romans 13, 8 is teaching that it is sinful and is wrong for a Christian to, to have debt. I do believe that Christians should pay 
uh, you should pay what they owe, and they should be current on their payments, and they should not be behind on their payments. Are you there in Psalm 37? Look at verse 21. Now, I know some of you are sitting here right now, and you may be thinking, well, I'm behind on my payments. Well, that's what this series is about. We want to help you get financially in control of your life. But in Psalm 37, in verse 21, the Bible says this, the wicked, notice what it says, the wicked borroweth and payeth not again. Do you see that? The wicked borroweth and payeth not again, but the righteous showeth mercy and give it. So here the Bible tells us it is wicked people who borrow from someone, who enter into an agreement, who say, I will, you know, buy this, or I will purchase this, or I will go ahead and grab that, and I'm going to make payments, and I'm going to pay it off, and then not pay that debt that they owe. The Bible says the wicked borroweth, And payeth not again. Go with me to the book of Ecclesiastes. If you're there in the book of Psalms, if you just go forward a couple of books, you'll go past the book of Proverbs into Ecclesiastes. Go to Ecclesiastes chapter number 5. Now let me go ahead and say this, and I'm not trying to offend you or anybody here. I'm just trying to teach the Bible and explain a few things. I do think that for this reason, bankruptcy should be avoided, you know, if at all possible. I understand that bankruptcy is legal, and I'm not saying you're a bad person if you've uh, had to file bankruptcy, and I'm not against you, and I'm not mad at you. But if at all possible, you ought to try to avoid this idea of bankruptcy, because the Bible says, the wicked borroweth and payeth not again. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse number 5, notice what the Bible says. Ecclesiastes chapter number 5, and look at verse number 5, the Bible says, it is, uh, the Bible says better is it that thou shouldest not vow than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. Now, the context here is about making a vow to God, and I understand that. But the principle is this. God basically is saying, you ought not commit to something or commit to pay something and then not pay. He said, it's better for you to not vow. It'd be better for you to not make the commitment. It'd be better for you to say, you know what, I'm not going to buy that, or I'm going to wait, you know, I'm going to save the money. It'd be better for you to not commit to pay for something and then not pay, because the wicked borroweth and payeth not again. So I do think, if at all possible, and I'm not, like I said, I'm not attacking, if, I don't even know of anyone in our church that has filed bankruptcy, so if you have, I don't know it. I'm just telling you, if you can avoid it, avoid it. If you can work through it, work through it. When people are surveyed about the most damaging seasons or times of their lives, they put going through bankruptcy right up there with getting divorced. It's a stressful time. It's a hard time in an individual's life if they have to go through bankruptcy. So uh, if, if you can avoid it, let's avoid it and work through it. So I want to start with this idea. Number one, debt is not sinful. I do not believe it is morally wrong for you to have debt. There are Christian leaders out there who will teach you, if you have debt, you need to get right with God, and you need to do this, and you need to do that. I don't believe debt is sinful. With that said, number two, debt is not wise. Now, debt is not sinful. But I don't believe debt is wise, and I don't believe debt is in your best interest. And that's not a play on words, but the the problem with debt is the interest. And it's not in your interest, it's in their interest. That's the issue. And uh, are you there in the book of Ecclesiastes? Go back to the book of Proverbs. Go go backwards uh, from Ecclesiastes. Right, right before the book of Ecclesiastes, you got the book of Proverbs. Look at Proverbs 22, and look at verse number 7. I want you to notice how God talks about this idea of debt. Debt... I said, debt is not sinful. Some of you are like, whew, I thought he was going to like tell me that I have to pay my debts and all this. Okay, but with that said, debt is not wise. It is not in your best interest to be in debt. Notice what the Bible says about in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 22, look at verse 7. The rich ruleth over the poor. Isn't that true? In our society today, it's true. The rich ruleth over the poor. Now notice what the Bible says. And the borrower is servant to the lender. The Bible says that the borrower is a servant to the lender. You've got to understand this. Debt is a burden that keeps you in bondage. Debt is a burden that is put upon you to keep you down. Go, go to the book of 2 Kings, chapter number 4. If you go backwards past the book of Proverbs, you go into the book of Psalms, uh, Job, Esther, Nehemiah, Ezra, 1 and 2 Chronicles, 1 and 2 Kings. You can find those 1 and 2 books, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles. Find 2 Kings, chapter number 4. 2 Kings, chapter number 4. While you turn there, let me uh, give you some statistics. This is current as of August 2015. Uh, in the average U.S. household, the average credit card debt is $15,706. That's the average. 
not just California, the entire, the entire country, you take everyone who has credit card debt and you divide it, you know, and you find that average, you will find that the average person has $15,706 in credit card debt. And that's not usually one credit card. Uh, I read somewhere, I, I didn't write it down, but I, I think I read somewhere, the average person has uh, somewhere between uh, three and five credit cards. If we asked you, and we won't, but if we asked you to, uh, you know, open up your wallet or your purse right now and take out all your credit cards, we could probably fill this platform, right, with all the credit cards that, that, that we have. The average credit card debt is $15,706. The average mortgage debt is $156,333. Of course, that's not true in California. That's a lot higher in California. The average vehicle debt, $8,163. The average student loan debt, $32,953. Now, here's what you're going to understand. If you've got $15,000 worth of credit card debt, $8,000 worth of you know, vehicle debt, $30,000 worth of student loan debt, and you've got your mortgage at $160,000, that's a huge burden that is placed on your shoulders. Are you there in 2 Kings chapter number 4? Look at verse number 1. 2 Kings. Here you have a story, and I just want you to, the, the story kind of illustrates the point. 2 Kings chapter 4, look at verse 1. Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha. So you have one of the prophets, uh, the wife of one of the prophets, uh, going to Elisha, who's the main prophet, saying, thy servant, my husband, is dead. So her husband was a, a prophet. He was in ministry. He was a preacher. And he died. And this woman comes to Elijah, and she says, thy servant, my husband, is dead. Now notice what she says. And thou knowest, she says, Elijah, thou knowest that, my, uh, that thy servant did fear the Lord. So I want you to understand this. This guy was not a bad guy. He was not a sinful man. He, he, he was a prophet. He, he had a testimony. The wife is able to say to Elisha, you know that my husband feared the Lord. But notice what the Bible says. And the creditor, he was in debt, is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. See, the problem with this man is not that he was a sinful man, but he was not a wise man. Because debt Although it is not sinful, debt is not wise. It is not morally wrong for you to be in debt, but I will tell you this, it is not in your best interest to have debt. In fact, I would challenge you to do a study of the word debt or owing, you know, you know uh, that idea from the Bible, and you will find that every single time the Bible talks about debt, it's always in a negative connotation. It's never positive. Let me give you another example. Go to 1 Samuel 22. You're there in 2 Kings, so if you go backwards, You'll go past 1 Kings, past 2 Samuel, into 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 22. Now in 1 Samuel 22, we have the story of David. He's running away from Saul. Saul's trying to kill him. And if you remember, David had men who came along with him. Now I want you to notice how the Bible describes these men. 1 Samuel 22, and look at verse number 2. 1 Samuel 22 and verse number 2. The Bible says, And everyone that was in distress... Now, the word distress means extreme anxiety. I mean, these people are having panic attacks. These people are, are stressed out. You see distress? They are stressed out. Now, it says, and everyone that was in distress, and everyone that was in debt, notice, and everyone that was discontented. The word discontent means dissatisfied, not happy, depressed gathered themselves unto him. Talking about David while running from Saul, and he became captain over them, and there were with him about 400 men. David's mighty men, who he ended up creating this huge band of warriors, started out with 400 men who were distressed, who were in debt, who were discontented, who were running away from society. You can just write there, right, right next to 1 Samuel 22, 2, just write Verity Baptist Church, you know, <laughs> because that's, that's how usually you say, why did they, why did they come to David? Because David represented God. And that's usually when we come to God, when we're in distress and we're dead and we're discontented. And, but, but I want you to notice, God puts this word debt, owing money, in this idea of people who were stressed out, who were, uh, uh, had extreme anxiety, who were dissatisfied, who were not happy, who were depressed. Because here's what you got to understand. Debt is a burden that will keep you down. Debt is a burden that will keep you depressed. It'll stress you out. It'll give you hopelessness. Debt is not sinful. But it's not wise. And it's not a good thing in your life. Debt, you say, Pastor, are you going to tell me that, that I have to pay off my debt to be right with God? I'm not going to tell you that. I don't necessarily believe that. I think you ought to be current on your payments. I don't think you should owe any man anything. I think you ought to pay your bills. But I will tell you this. Debt is not a wise thing. 
and it's not good. Go to Deuteronomy 28. You're there, you're there in, uh, where are you? You're in 1 Samuel? Go, go uh, backwards to Deuteronomy. You'll go past Ruth, past Judges, past Joshua, into the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter number 28. Debt is a burden. Debt is negative. Debt will give you hopelessness. Debt will stress you out. Debt is a burden that it will keep you down, and it's meant to keep you down. It's, it's meant to keep you from getting ahead financially. You're there in Deuteronomy 28. Now, Deuteronomy 28 is a passage that God gives us uh, where he basically gives you, uh, uh, he, he, he tells his people that if they obey his commandments, if they do what the Bible says, that he's going to give them all sorts of blessings. And he gives us a list of those blessings. And then later on, he says, if you don't obey and if you don't do what I tell you, he, he lists off a list of curses. And let me uh, just uh, give you an example of where debt falls into this idea. Deuteronomy 28, look at verse number 12. Deuteronomy 28, verse number 12. The Bible says, The Lord shall open unto thee his good treasure. It's talking about the blessings of God. And heaven to give rain unto thy land in his season, and to bless. You see that word bless? It's talking about blessing his people. And to bless all the work of thine hand. Now notice what it says. And thou shalt lend unto many nations, and thou shalt not borrow. Now I want you to notice, God equates his blessing with a group of people who do not have to borrow. They do not have to go down and get a loan for their car. They don't have to get a loan for school. They don't have to get a loan for whatever they're doing. God says, you are a blessed person. In fact, he says, I, you, you can be assured that my blessing is on your life when you are able to lend, but you don't have to borrow. Now look at verse 13. And the Lord shall make thee the head and not the tail. And thou shalt be above only. Now I want you to know these words. And thou shalt not be beneath. Because I want you to understand something. Debt is meant to keep you down. Debt is meant to make you beneath, not ahead. To make you the tail, not the head. Debt is meant to oppress you. And you got to understand this. It's, it's, it's an agenda. I mean, the, 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 our whole society is set up. For you to be, you know, I mean, from day one, from the moment you enter into college, you know, you got people that are trying to give you a student loan and give you a credit card. And and we're told, you know, build your credit, build your credit, build your credit. And you ask, why do I need to build my credit? So you got to go get debt so that you can show that you can pay debt so you can get more debt. You understand what I'm saying? Our society, and and, and you can go far into it, and I'm not going to, you know, there's other people in in our church that can probably explain it a lot better. But, you know, the Federal Reserve and our entire nation is just consumed with this idea of debt. And you've been set up. You've been set up to go. You don't even think about it. You say, well, I didn't even know you could buy a car without getting a loan. I didn't know you could go to college without a student loan. I didn't know that, you know, you you shouldn't get a credit card. I didn't know you could live debt-free. And you got to understand, it's meant that way because here's the goal. Debt is meant to keep you down. When you are in debt, you will be beneath, not ahead. You will be the tail, not the head. Now, notice the contrast. Look at verse 43, Deuteronomy 28, verse 43. Deuteronomy 28, verse 43. Deuteronomy 28, verse 43. Why is it that I call Comcast to get internet? They have to run my credit. I'm not borrowing from them. But the society is made up to where you can't even get internet if you don't have good credit. You've got to have good credit. Well, how do I get credit? Well, you've got to go into debt. Why do I want debt? Because <laughs> you want internet. But I'm not borrowing from you. Our society is made, messed up. You can't go get an apartment. I mean, the whole point of an apartment is that you're renting. You can't get a, go in an apartment without having good credit or having someone co-sign for you. We'll talk about that in a minute. But look at verse, uh, Deuteronomy 28, look at verse 43. The stranger that is within thee shall get up above thee very high. That's the United States of America. People coming from different countries here, being successful, prospering, working hard, starting businesses, while people who have lived here their whole lives are broke. You say, why did that happen? Because God's curse is on this country. The stranger that is within thee shall get up above thee very high, and thou shalt come down very low. Now notice what he says, verse 44. And shall lend to thee, and thou shalt not lend to him. And he shall be the head, and thou shalt be the tail. See, the Bible says... That debt is a tool meant to oppress. Debt is a tool meant to burden you. Debt is a tool meant to make you a servant because the borrower is servant to the lender. Pastor, is debt 
a sin? I don't think it's a sin. But I don't think it's wise. And I don't think it's in your best interest to have debt. See, many people live paycheck to paycheck because of the amount of debt they live in, they have. It's not that they don't make enough money. It's just at the end of the day, they don't have any money left over because they've got to make the car payment, you know, two car payments. They've got to make the house payment. They've got to make the credit card payment. They've got a card at JCPenney's. They've got a card at Sears. And they've got a card here. And they've got a card there. I've got this student loan. And by the time I'm done, I don't have any, you know, I'm living paycheck to paycheck. There's nothing left over because of so much debt. There are some, and those same people can survive as long as everything is okay, Right? I mean, as long as everything's fine, as long as everything stays where it's supposed to stay, but if my hours are cut, if I lose my job, if the economy crashes, right? I mean, if, if a bill comes in that I wasn't expecting, you know, all of a sudden the DMV wants me to pay a registration of $300, where'd that come from? Because I didn't know that was coming, right? All of a sudden it's Christmas and I've got an emergency because I've got to go buy gifts for a bunch of people that I don't even like. Right? I mean, all of a sudden, you know, I've got, I've got this and I've got that and I've got these issues and that issues. And as soon as the financial famine, that's what we talked about last week, as soon as the financial crisis comes, if you're living paycheck to paycheck, it messes you up. Because that is meant to keep you down. You lose your job, an unexpected bill shows up, you get it cut back on your hours. Those people cannot, you say, Pastor Man, well, I want to save, but I can't save. Why can't you save? Because I got too many bills. See, that's keeping you from being able to save. They can't change their career because they can't afford the training to get into a transition into a different job. They can't go start a business because they can't afford to start a business. They can't, you know, uh, transition into a new job because they can't afford to get cut back on pay to be able to go into a career that maybe eventually will pay. Here's what I'm trying to explain to you. Debt is a tool to keep you oppressed. The government and the United States of America and Satan want you to be stressed out about money, want you to be consumed with this idea of money and be anxious about money. And debt is a tool that is used to oppress. Most of this, if not all of this, could be avoided. If someone just simply lived debt-free. See, debt keeps you down. Debt keeps you from getting financially ahead. And debt is an issue that needs to be dealt with. Debt is terrible because of the cost of interest. Debt is terrible because of the cost of interest. Now, the Bible calls interest usury, and there's a lot of verses that we could have gone to about usury. And I'm not going to do that because I actually preached on that not too long ago in the book of Nehemiah. But let me read for you because I want to illustrate how bad debt is. And I don't think most people really understand Interest and debt. I want to read for you a short article that I got from a website called wisebread.com. And just to kind of explain to you the problem with debt, okay? Credit cards sometimes make a purchase hard to pass up. For example, they make it possible to buy something for $3,000 and pay just $60 per month until it's paid off. Most people can afford a $60 payment. Now, those are most, most people can't afford a $3,000 purchase, but they can afford a $60 payment. But what is often overlooked is how much you end up paying in interest. A common mistake people who are new to credit cards often make is paying just the minimum payment on their credit card bills. The small monthly minimum payment seems insignificant and comfortable in most budgets until you look closer at what your credit card debt is really costing you over time. How to calculate true credit card debt costs. Now, just, just you know, stick with me. Let me explain a few things to you uh, from this. You know, read this for you, and, and, and it'll make sense in a second. But notice what it says. If, if you carry an average daily balance of $3,000 in credit card debt, your minimum payment will be around $60 a month, assuming a 2% minimum payment required, but some cards may have a different minimum percentage. If the credit card charges a 15 APR interest could cost you somewhere between $400 and $450 per year. Here's how you figure it out. Divide your APR by 365 days. Uh, so that would be 0.15 divided by 365 gives you 0.04 interest. You multiply that by 30 days per month. So you got 0.04 times 30 uh, would be 1.2 or 0.012%. For those of you that like math, Brother Stucky probably knows what this is all about. Uh, multiply 0.012% by the 3,000 original balance. That gives you $36 a month in interest. So they're basically explaining to you how they come up with this payment. But here's what I want you to understand, okay? With a $60 minimum payment, 36 goes towards interest each month, and 24 goes towards your $3,000 credit card balance. So after you send the first $60 payment, your $3,000 credit card balance or bill will now be $2,976. If you only pay your minimum balance due each month, 2% or $25 minimum, it will take approximately 16 years to pay off your $3,000 debt. It gets worse. 
during those 16 years of making the minimum payment, you will have paid $3,641 in interest, turning your $3,000 purchase into a $6,641 purchase according to the result from a minimum payment calculator on creditcards.com. Whatever you purchase for $3,000 will likely be broken and forgotten long before you've paid for it in full. And here's the sad part. Some of you, that, that's, that's eating out. That's clothes. That, that, that's, you know, going on a trip. See, you got to understand, debt is not, people think debt's a tool. I can't afford a $3,000, you know, purchase, but I can afford a $60 payment. And you think debt's a tool to help me buy those things. But if you can't afford a $3,000 purchase, should you really be putting it on credit? Because here's the thing, you're going to pay for it twice. That's how credit works. Let me give you a personal example. I went out, I grabbed the, um, I, I grabbed the, the big old contract that my wife and I signed for our, the purchase of our home. Now, my wife and I, just to give you a personal testimony, we're debt-free for everything except our home. Um, I don't think home mortgages are terrible because you got to live somewhere and you're going to pay rent anyway, and rent's just being thrown away anyway. You're paying somebody else's mortgage. I do think you should try to pay it off early, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. But let me give you an example. I, I, I took out our contract. My wife and I bought our house for $175,116.12. We bought when the economy was uh, not terrible at 5.423%. Now, since then, we've refinanced to 3.75%. So for those of you who care, we're getting a better deal. But, you know, uh, I couldn't find the refinance document, so I just took the original. So $175,000 at 5.423% uh, would mean that if we, if, we, if, we paid, if we made every payment on time, no extra payments, we would pay $345,101.02. Now, think about this. We would pay for a $175,000 home, $345,101 in two cents. If no extra payment is made, we will pay $169,984.90 in interest. I mean, I'm paying that house off twice. Vehicles are worse. You, 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 you get a vehicle on, on, a, on interest, you just plan on paying that vehicle two or three times. Credit cards, five to six times. This is how interest works. Think about everything you own. Your house, your two cars, your motorcycle, your boat, your RV, your TV, your piano, your furniture, your entertainment center, everything you have on credit. All that clothes in your wife's you know, closet or you guys, you metrosexuals that like to buy all your clothes as much as women do, you know, and all that, have it on credit. Now, do you think you could get financially ahead if you had to pay for everything you bought twice? That's what you're doing when you do it on interest. See, what I'm trying to explain to you is this. Debt is not wise. Debt is meant to keep you down. Debt is meant to keep you from getting ahead financially. See, the truth is this. When you owe on what you own, you are owned by what you owe. When you owe on what you own, you are owned. By what you owe. So let's review. Number one, debt's not sinful. I don't think it's a sin for you to be in debt. I don't think it is not morally wrong for you to be in debt. Number two, though, debt is not wise. It is not in your best interest to have debt because the problem is it's in their best interest, literally. Number three, debt is not necessary. Now, we live in this society, and I want you to understand this, where people think you will always have a car payment. You will always have a house payment. You will always have debt. But listen, There's no rule out there that says you have to live in debt. It is possible to live debt-free. It is possible to pay cash for everything you own. It is possible to say, everything I own, I actually own, and it doesn't own me. It is possible. Now, I want to just explain to you some principles in regards to getting out of debt. Go to the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter number 5. If you're there in Deuteronomy, you go past Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, uh, 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter number 5. Nehemiah chapter number 5. And by the way, everything that I've said in this series over the last several weeks, some of you think like, I don't know. Just talk to your grandparents. This is how people used to live. People used to just, they, when they wanted to buy something, they saved for it. When they wanted to go on a vacation, they saved for it. They didn't just swipe a card. They didn't have their MasterCard. That MasterCard is mastering you. That's the problem. <laughs> Debt is not necessary. Uh, go to Nehemiah chapter 5. Now, now let, let me explain to you a few things. You can live debt-free. Some of you, some of you are, you're not going to listen to me, and you're going to be financially messed up. 
and that's fine. But for those of you that care, you can get out of debt. Now, let me give you some, some uh, steps you've got to take. Number one, do not allow your debt to get worse. Do not allow your debt to get worse. You've got to decide right now, I will stop borrowing. I will stop borrowing on credit. And here's what that means for some of you. You need to take that card out and cut it up. You need to take that card from your wife or three and cut them up. You've got to decide right now to stop uh, just using credit. And let me, let me give you a couple of things, okay? We talked about this before, but I just want to remind you. You've got to check your motives. Why do you buy the things that you have? I mean, think about the things that you have. Why do you have them? The things that you're making payment for. Because here's the truth. Most of the things you owe money on, it's not a thing that you needed. It's a thing that your pride needed. The Bible says this. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it for you. Hebrews 13, 5. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. The truth of the matter is, most of the stuff we go into debt for, it's not that we need it. It's that we want it. And usually, we're trying to impress people who aren't even paying attention to you. Larry Burkett said this, most young couples spend the first five to seven years of their marriage trying to attain what their parents attained in, the, in 35 years. Let me explain something to you, especially you young people. You don't have to live in the same neighborhood your parents live. You don't have to drive the same car that your parents drive. You don't have to have the same standard of living that your parents had. It took them 40 years to get there. And you want to be there, you know, at 25. And the reason that, you know, the reason these young couples, they go out there, they I got to get all brand new furniture. I just got married. My wife and I, the first year we were married, had no furniture in our apartment. Amen. I mean, we just, we just sat on the floor. We just ate on the floor. The first furniture, item of furniture we bought was a dining room table. We saved three months, spent $500, bought a nice dining room table. The first time we brought it home, we ate on the floor just because we were used to eating on the floor. You know what I mean? But you, but you know what? We weren't in debt. And people get this idea, well, I've got to have my, my, what are my parents going to think? You know, if your parents think bad of you for the way you look, you know, nuts to your parents. I mean, that's ridiculous. But, but here's the, you know, I was talking to my sister about this. Here's the funny thing. My parents, and I'm not saying this to brag on my parents. Or, I'm, I'm going to say this. Some of you are going to try to ask them for money or something. My parents are doing pretty well financially. They live in a nice neighborhood in North Natomas in a nice house. I don't, I don't live there. I don't, I don't think I'll ever live in that neighborhood. They own, you know, and I apologize, Mom and Dad, if I'm giving too much information. They own a couple of properties that they own outright that they pay for. They've done pretty well for themselves. God has blessed them. But here's, here's what my, my sister and I were talking about. When my parents were my age, when my parents were my age, we were living in a two-bedroom house with one bathroom in Hayward, California. My parents had a master bedroom. My sister had a master bedroom. And my brother and I slept on couches in the living room for the first... I, w- I was 14 years old before I ever had a bed. We were poor. And, and you know what? I didn't know I was poor. I was happy. We were content. We were in church. It was great. I mean, I, I, we were poor. But I didn't know it. I just knew God was good. And I, I'm thankful for that. I think some of our kids are just a little too spoiled. But, but, you know, but here's the thing. I'm doing better than they were at this time of their life. But if I was trying to be like the 60-year-old version of my parents, or, you know, much younger than that for my mother, <laughs> okay, um, you know, I, I would be stressed out and depressed and anxious because i got to be just like my mom and dad. I don't have to be just like my mom and dad. I don't, and, and get this, you know, get this idea. Well, I've got to drive this car. To impress who? People you don't even like? People that aren't even paying attention? People that just don't even care? Check your covetousness, because a lot of it is just pride. Avoid impulse buys. Avoid impulse buys. Now listen to me. I'm, I'm, a, I'm the one up here preaching this series, okay? And I will, I will be, I'm going to, confessing our faults one to another, right? I made an impulse buy this week, and it, it was bad. And, you know, I'm just going to tell you this, just to let you know. As I don't, not anybody has put, all put together, and people make mistakes, my, my, both my boys were born in September, and they got a bunch of birthday money, and they decided they wanted to buy a hamster. <laughs> and uh, they bought a dwarf hamster and, uh, with a regular size cage, uh, which we didn't know you were supposed to get a different cage for a dwarf hamster because they're dwarfs. <laughs> and uh, we had that hamster for about two nights, and he broke out, and we couldn't find him. 
And my wife and I looked for like three days. We could not find this hamster. We eventually declared him dead. And I took the cage back. Now, now here's the thing, okay? I took the cage back to PetSmart, okay? I walk in to return a $22 cage, and then we pass by the guinea pigs. And I don't know if you've ever seen guinea pigs, but they're pretty cute. And, you know, here's the thing. You walk in to return a $22 cage, you walk out with $189 worth of guinea pig and guinea pig accessories. And I'm driving home and thinking to myself, why am I preaching a series on finances, <laughs> you know? But it gets worse, and here's why. We get home, we set up the cage, all the, everybody's all happy, and all, my, all of a sudden my wife's like, do you hear that? I'm like, I don't hear anything. She says, no, do you hear that? And I'm like, yeah, I think I do hear that behind the oven. And we pull the oven out, and there's a dwarf hamster. So now we have four kids, a dog, two guinea pigs, and a dwarf hamster with no dwarf cage. So he's in the tank that belonged to the turtle. That's another story. And and the worst part is this. I I went to bed and I thought, we are now one of those families. You know what I mean? Those families. They homeschool and they have like a zoo in their house. Like, that's us. But we can't return. You know, once the kids name them, you can't like return them. So here's here's the point. Avoid impulse buys. <laughs> and don't take your kids to PetSmart because it doesn't work out. Don't let your debt get worse. Now, here's the thing. For us, you know, honestly, that's not going to ruin us financially. But don't, don't allow your debt to get worse. Stop borrowing. Stop borrowing on credit. Stop, uh, you know, avoid impulse buys. Let me say this. Save for an emergency because here's what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, well, I'll just keep a credit card for an emergency. Okay. Are you there in Nehemiah chapter 5? Look at verse 1. Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 1. And there was a great cry of the people and of their wives against the brethren of the Jews. For there were that said, We, our sons and our daughters, are many. Therefore we take up corn for them, that we may eat and live. Some also there were that said, We have mortgaged our lands, vineyards, and houses, that we might buy corn because of the dearth. Now what's a dearth? It's a famine. A scarcity. Now, here's what happened. These people had a famine. They couldn't feed their families. So what they do? They mortgaged their lands, their vineyards, their houses. They kept a credit card just in case of an emergency. And there were also that said, we have borrowed money for the king's tribute and that upon our lands and vineyards. So it's a bad idea to go into debt for an emergency because here's the thing. You will always have an emergency. So, you know, set up a small famine fund or emergency fund or rainy day fund. It doesn't have to be a lot, $500, $1,000, $1,500, but put some money away just in case of an emergency. Number three, get up to date on all your payments by paying the minimum payments. Now, I don't think you ought to pay the minimum payments for the rest of your life, but I do think you need to be ahead on all your payments, okay? So before you start getting out of debt, here's what you got to do. Stop borrowing on credit. Avoid, you know, check your motives when you're purchasing something, your pride, who you're trying to impress. Avoid impulse buys. Don't go to Best Buy, you know, PetSmart with those guinea pigs. Um, save for an emergency. Get up to date on all your payments by paying minimum payments on your debt, okay? That's what you got to do to get started. Now, let's talk about getting out of debt, okay? And I'm just going to give you some practical things here, and you do what you want with it. Number one, list your debts from smallest to highest. List your debts from smallest to highest, not including your mortgage. List everything you owe on. From, and what I mean by smallest to highest is not based on the interest, but based on the amount that you owe. So, you know, take all, everything you owe, just list it. I owe this much on this, this much on this. I'm going to give you an example. Now, I'm giving a really simple example just to help you so you don't get lost. But let's just take an average person, you know, this is someone that could, could have debt. Here's what they would do. They would list, you know, they've got a Macy's card and they owe $450 on it. They would write down $450 on Macy's. Number two, they, maybe they went out and bought furniture and they owe $2,200 on it. They would write $450, Macy's, $2,200, uh, furniture. They've got a MasterCard. It's got a $3,000 balance. They write that down. They've got $10,500 on a car payment. They write that down. Now, here's the thing. If that's you, you're doing pretty well, okay? Because most of you have a lot more than that, okay? Or the average American does. You've got two car payments, and you've got three credit cards and all that. But just to keep it simple, list your payments, uh, your debts, from smallest to highest based on the balance, not on the interest, so you can get an idea of what you have, okay? Number two, take any extra money you have left over for the month. 
Now, some of you are thinking, what money left over? Now, due to your newly established monthly budget, now some of you need to review sermon number two, plan your spending, okay? You need to go back and listen to that again and take some notes. Because due to your newly established monthly budget, due to the fact that you cut out Starbucks purchase every day, and you cut out cable, because why would you, you, should you have cable television when you owe all these people money? And you cut out all these different things. Now, all of a sudden, you've got a little money left over, either by cutting spending or increasing your income. And here's how you take care of debt, okay? Many people, diff- different people teach the same concept, different way. Some people call it snowball payments. Some people call it compound payments. It's all the same thing, okay? Here's what you do, okay? You pay any, you take any extra money that you have in your budget. Let's say you redid your budget, you cut out a bunch of things, you found you've got $100 left over. Once you paid all the bills, you bought groceries, you, you took care of everything you need to take care of, you've got $100 left over at the end. You're going to use that for debt reduction. So you take any extra money found in your budget. For our example, let's say $100, plus the payment you are currently making to the first smallest debt. So in our example, that's a Macy's card that has uh, $450. Let's say the minimum payment's $30. So you take your $100 you found in your budget, because you actually started tracking your money, and you found, oh, I do have some money left over. It's just we eat out a lot, you know, whatever. And the current payment that you're making to the smallest card, and you keep sending that till that card or that budget, that debt is paid for, okay? Now, while you're doing that, you're still paying the minimum payment on the other, on the other debts because you want to keep those current. But you're sending an extra, whatever you can come up with, $100. Some of you, could, some of you, you just cut out you know, eating out. You could come up with like $500, okay? So, you know, whatever you come up with, you take that and you send that plus a minimum payment to the smallest card or the, the, the smallest uh, debt. And you probably can knock that out within a few months if you do your smallest one first. That'll help you feel like you did something, you succeeded something. Everybody likes to cross something off their to-do list, right? You can cross that off. Say, yes, okay? What do you do now? Well, now you take that extra money that you found, right? $100 a month in our example, plus the payment you used to send to the first card, okay? Now, here's where you make your mistake. You don't say, I paid off that card. That frees up $25 for, you know, going out to eat. Okay, no. You used to make a $25 payment to Macy's. Now you're going to take the $100 that you found because you began to budget, plus the $25 that you used to make to the smallest budget, in our example here to Macy's, and you add that to the payment that you currently make to the second to smallest Debt, which in our example here is a furniture store, let's say it's $120. So now you're sending $250 to pay off that furniture, and you just keep doing that until that debt is paid off. Do you see why this is called compound payments? They're compounding upon each other. Or snowball payments, like a snowball that starts small and gets bigger and bigger. You say, what do you do when you paid off the first debt and you've paid off the second debt? Now you take any extra money found in your budget, $100 or whatever it is, plus the payment that you used to send that you used to send to the first payment, the $30 to Macy's, and the payment that you used to send to the second debt, $120 to a furniture store, plus the payment you are currently making to the third debt, let's say it's $60 to MasterCard, and you send that $310 to MasterCard every month until you pay that thing off. While keeping current with the minimum payments on everything else you owe. What do you do when you're done with that? Well, you pay. Take any extra money found in your budget, the $100 in our example, plus the payment you used to send to the first smallest debt, the $30 you used to send to Macy's, plus the payment you used to send to the second smallest debt, the $120 you used to send to the furniture store, plus the payment you used to send to the third smallest debt, $60 to the MasterCard, plus the, making your cur- the payment you're currently making on your debt, which at this point is probably like your car, so it's probably like a $300 payment, and you send that $610 to that debt until it's paid off, And here's the thing, while you're doing all this, while you're doing all this, any extra money found, any extra money brought to you, just throw it at your debt. Throw it at your debt till you've paid that off. So, you know, sell something. Some of you get out of debt, just sell your car. Just go buy a used car. It's okay. We won't think less of you. In fact, I'll be impressed. You know, you could sell the boats, sell the children. I don't know. Sell, you know, don't sell the guinea pigs. (laughs) But... Some of you are like, I wouldn't sell my children. I'd give them away. No, anyway. (laughs) 
sell something and throw it at that debt. You get a bonus at work. You get birthday money. You get a tax refund. You get, you know, an inheritance. You find money out because you're soul winning and God blesses you and you find a $10 bill on the floor. Whatever. You know, don't do, if you're in their house, okay, you didn't find that. It's got to be on the street. But whatever money you get, extra money, you just send that to the, the debt. You just send it. You send it. Now, look. That, it'll probably take you two to five years or whatever. My wife and I did it. I mean, we were, not, we were not eating out. We were not having fun. We were just focused, but we wanted to get out of debt. And we just sent everything we could until we paid that thing off, paid that thing off, paid that thing off. Once you've paid off all your debt except your mortgage, I would advise that you send at least an extra payment, maybe two, maybe three, uh, to your mortgage every year. And my wife and I try to do this. We set it up automatically. Our payment, you know... If, let's say your payment's $1,200 a month. Uh, if you just send an extra $100 every month towards the principal, that'll eventually come out to an extra payment. You can do that. You can send an extra $200 or whatever. I would totally advise you to send, because here's the way mortgages work, okay? People have this idea like, I have this loan, and here's my payment, $1,200. A, a fixed amount goes to interest. A fixed amount goes to principal. That's not how it works, okay? When you get a 30-year mortgage, your payments... Like, this much of the payment goes to interest, and this much of the payment goes to principal, okay? And here's how it works. As the, as the 30 years progress, less and less goes to the interest, and more and more goes to the principal. Here's why they do it. In case you default, they want to make sure that they got their money, okay? So here's the thing. That's why you, you buy a house, and you're making payments. You're looking at the little thing. You're like, why is it not going down? It's not going down because most of your payment is going to interest. But if you can send extra money towards the principal because the interest is based off the principal, you can start knocking that principal down. And eventually, I mean, people say, that, you know, there's mortgage calculators. You can figure it out with your statistics. But if you send an extra payment to two payments, you'll pay your house off, people say, five to ten years earlier than that, than, than, you're, than you're meant to. You won't pay that thing off twice. So I would encourage you, get out of debt. Why? Because it's sinful? I don't think it is. But I don't think it's wise. And I think it's meant to keep you down. So number one, debt is not sinful. I don't think it's morally wrong to have debt. Number two, debt is not wise. I don't think it's in your best interest. I think it's in the bank's best interest for you to have debt. Number three, debt is not necessary. It is possible to live debt-free. It is possible. Okay, let me give you a couple just closing thoughts, and we'll, we'll finish up. Can you get back to Proverbs? Uh, I don't know where you're at. You're, I think you're in Nehemiah. You go past... Um, Get to Proverbs, past Esther, Job, Psalms, um, to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 17. Let me give you a couple things, and, and, and we'll finish up uh, this, this morning. Next week will be the last sermon on financial freedom. If you, you say, I don't like preaching on money. It's probably because you don't have any. But um, no, I'm just kidding. People, people are like, I don't like money. It's like the people who don't like these sermons are like the people who need it the most. If you're just in there, I don't like the sermon. You need it, okay? You, you need the help. Proverbs 17. Um, look at verse number 18. Proverbs 17. Look at verse number 18. Proverbs 17, 18, the Bible says this. A man void of understanding striketh hands. Okay, the word striketh hands means It's talking about like shaking hands. And becometh surety. Okay, you see that word surety? The word surety means to guarantee or take responsibility for in the presence of their friends. Here's what the Bible is talking about. It's talking about co-signing. You didn't know the Bible talked about co-signing. The Bible talks about everything, okay? And here's what he says. A man void of understanding striketh hands and becometh surety in the presence of his friends. Go to Proverbs 22, look at verse number 26. Proverbs 22, verse number 26. Proverbs 22, verse number 26. Proverbs 22, 26. Be not thou, Proverbs 22, verse 26. Be not thou. Now, this could constitute as a command, the way it's phrased. Be not thou one of them that strike hands, shake hands, or of them that are sureties, talking about guaranteeing or taking responsibility for, co-signing for debts. The Bible says it's not wise to co-sign on someone's debt. Now, please let me just explain this to you, why this is, okay? I don't know if you know this, but banks make money by lending. They make money through usury, through charging interest, okay? Banks are looking for people to lend to. In fact, they spend millions of dollars in advertising trying to get you to go into debt because that's how they make money. Banks have sophisticated systems to determine how much of a risk someone will be and how likely it is that that person will pay or default on their debt. Now listen to me. If the bank, who is eager to loan 
and the bank who has sophisticated computers and systems and algorithms that tell them this person is probably not going to pay their debt. And the bank says, I need you to find a friend or a brother or a parent or a grandparent to co-sign because the likelihood is you're not going to pay for this debt and we want someone to guarantee to say if you don't pay that they will pay. Now listen to me. If the bank doesn't give them a loan because they're not going to pay and they want to give them a loan and they've got all sorts of you know, systems to figure out, that person's probably not going to pay. Okay? And if you co-sign, you're going to end up owing it and you're going to end up getting a letter saying you're getting sued and you're going to have to make those payments. So it's not a wise thing to co-sign. When we, were, when we were 18 years old, my wife and I were 18 years old, my dad co-signed for us for a car, you know, I didn't know all this, and, and, and we made the payments, we, we, we made good on it, you know, we, I wasn't about to default on my dad, you know, I'll default on anyone else, but I, you know, but, um, you know, I'm not saying co-signing is terrible, but I would advise to not co-sign. Your, your friends, your neighbors, they want you to co-sign. The reason that the bank won't give them a loan or a credit card or whatever is because they're probably not going to pay and they want you to pay. So it's not, the Bible teaches, it's not good to strike hands. It's not good to be surety uh, for debt. So over the last several weeks, next week we're going to talk about giving, all right? Let me just go ahead and warn that to you right now. We're talking about giving. You're going to come to church. You're going to learn about giving. Giving is talked a lot about in the Bible. I think it's part of being a healthy Christian. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I'm just telling you right now, we're talking about giving. So if you need a sermon to skip out on because you don't like preaching on giving, that's the one, all right? You say, why would you warn us? Here's why I would warn you. Because we don't need and or want your money. You know, God has blessed us here, and we've got people that love God and that they give whether you would preach on it or not. And the only reason that I even preach about it is because the Bible does talk about it, and we don't preach about it very much at all. You know, once a year, twice a year, we'll talk about it. So I'm warning you right now, don't show up if you're going to go mad about giving, all right? But we're basically done with this idea. And I just want you to think, over the last several weeks, we've talked about this. We've talked about planning your spending. We've talked about preparing for the future. And we've talked about paying your debt. And just just dream with me for a minute. Could you imagine how your life would change if you came into every month knowing exactly how much you were going to spend, how it was going to be spent, every dollar on paper on purpose, could you imagine how it would revolutionize your life if you had a thousand or two thousand or ten thousand dollars sitting in the bank just in case of a famine, just in case you got cut back on your hours, just in case you lost your job, just in case the economy collapsed? You know, well, the economy collapsed, we're all in trouble. You know, could you, I mean, could you imagine what your life would be like if you didn't owe on anything? If all you owed was your mortgage, and even that you're paying it off in 15 years or 10 years? I mean, could you imagine the amount of stress that would not be on your shoulders? Could you imagine the, 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 the liberty that it would bring where you could say, you know what, I am. I'm going to cut back my hours because I want to serve God more, or I want to go into ministry, or I want to start that business, or I want to get that training. I mean, could you just imagine what your life would be like if you were financially free? Now, here's the thing. It doesn't happen by wishing. Nothing happens by wishing. Everything happens by working. I want to encourage you, work towards that goal. Some of you need to just set up a budget. Some of you need to just start saving some money. Cut your spending. Some of you need to just figure out a plan to get your debt. Some of you need to go back and get those CDs or go back on the website and re-listen to the sermons and start taking some notes and start applying it to your life. Because here's what I know. God wants to bless you financially. But if he cannot trust you with that which is least, why would he trust you with more? Let's bow our heads and have...